0: Let's face it, it's a hard time to be a woman and The Handmaid's Tale is looking less like fiction and more like shitty, shitty reality. Process your feels with Red All Over, a Handmaid's Tale recap podcast. Comedians Kelly Anakin and Molly Sanchez help you deal with the abject horror of the show and book with lively discussions, weekly recaps, and lots of singing and lots of self-care. So don't let the bastards grind you down and listen to Red All Over on your podcatcher of choice today.
1: Welcome to Vicious Cycle, the podcast about periods and the people who get them. I'm Kate Elston. I'm Meg Hayes. And I'm Meg Trowbridge. Yay! Yay. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We have the most exciting two episodes coming your way, and this is part one of our Ask a Gyno episode. I don't know if that's going to be the title, but that's what we've been calling it to (laughs) each other. I just want to scream
0: from the rooftops to every person who has a uterus to listen to this these set of episodes. Yeah, yeah. They are so informative. Yeah. So illuminating. I, I listened. I was like listening to them today and I was like, I need a notebook to write all this down. Like <laughs> yeah. I need to like write it on my forehead. So I never forget. Like there are, yeah. is so much good information. Go back and listen
1: to it twice maybe because yeah.
0: it is yeah. it's the education that we all deserve. Like I still don't fully understand some of the stuff that she told us, but I feel like I'm in a, such a better place of understanding my own body and how it works yeah she answered so many questions that we so many burning questions that we've had for all year yeah, we some of these questions it was a deluge
1: of questions yeah. for her so and she stayed with us well let's talk about her so yeah. we had on Catherine, <laughs> doctor Catherine o'connell white aka dr kate mm-hmm. um uh t- we had her on to ask all of these questions we've had about periods and our bodies and dr kate is an OBGYN gyn an assistant professor of obstructive obstetrics obstetrics Obstetrics. (laughs) you got it and gynecology at boston university school of medicine and she was a contributing editor to glamour kind of a big deal so exciting so we had her on to answer all of these questions from us poor ignorant bleeders and yeah we literally covered we had her we talked to her for two hours yeah so we split it up into two episodes solid hours yeah it was awesome so thank you to kate dr kate for taking your time late into the night to talk to us on the East coast. Yes. So Mm. yeah. So some of the things we cover in this part one are why is it Brown? We get an answer to that. We get her take on prescribing birth control to bleeders. We get uh, a little bit of information about what's really up with Meg Hayes inverted pubic Mm -hmm. bone. And we touch on uh, Meg Trowbridge's ectopic pregnancy and you guys, bleeders, listeners, everyone. We hear the most heroic story about a fallopian tube and an ovary working together. It's for really, baby. It's really good. So that's like RYI cried forever. So <laughs> it's so good. I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this. Also, we want to shout out Zencaster, which is the program we use to talk to Dr. Kate while she was all the way in Boston. This isn't an ad. We just, but it can, it can and be. It You
2: want to give us money, Zencaster?
1: Zencaster. We'll but before we get to Dr. Kate, Let's take some phone calls we've gotten from some listeners. This first one comes from Mackenzie, who uh, had a story in response to our talk about dogs eating
3: tampons. (laughs) My dog used to get into the garbage, eat the tampon, and then run under the bed where I couldn't get to him. And he did this a few times. I didn't really think very much of it until I was in a very public place walking him around normal people. And he decided to try and go to the bathroom, and I was like, "God, he's really struggling. what's going on seemed like something was kind of i don't know slowing him down, and I look down and I see him kind of straining, if you will, and I see a little string, and I'm like, Oh my god is that like a worm? Does he have a tapeworm? he does like to eat a lot and I was like, I'm. I think I have to pull on it. So I put the poop bag over my hand and I pulled. And what do you know? I pulled out an entire tampon, string and all. At least the string came out first, so I had something to grab on. So, dogs definitely are a hindrance to our periods. He's very special. I love him, but I moved the garbage up to where he can't get to anymore. Thanks for your podcast. I really love it. Bye. Oh, oh my
0: God. God! String first. I, I love that it came out string first. It
1: is. It's it's helpful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's the silver lining yeah. of this story. It is funny, though, that it go. It, that's what it would look like coming out of us. It I know. Like out of a dog's butt.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, oh, Mackenzie. Like I those... bet that was real gross. Oh, poor Way doggy, to too.
0: He was like, yeah. what's happening to me? <laughs> it's like those pictures of dogs dressed as humans. <laughs> but in this case, the dog has a tampon string coming uh, out of its butt. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, dog, oh, now you know what we go through every month, yeah. OK? You're welcome. You're welcome. cycle. yeah if dogs got periods yeah yeah. they'd have to deal with this also if you haven't listened to our do animals get periods episode go back do it it's illuminating and there's a circle of life song (laughs) (laughs) okay this next phone call we got a couple months ago actually it's from lena uh but she talks about something that we just recently discussed on our last episode with michelle so i wanted to play it this episode
4: so I have uh, an autoimmune disease that usually affects my thyroid. So um, being hyperthyroid, everything kind of ran in overdrive. And my period was kind of non-existent um, or like super crazy and light. So usually I'm used to skipping periods or having periods that are really, really light. And um, and I've used the menstrual cup for a while. What I love about it is it was never full. Um, it only catch a little bit. Well, I underwent treatment and it's kind of been like wait and see until I go hypo, which is the exact opposite of everything hyperthyroid was, um, including my periods, which I knew, but I was not expecting what I got. And um, it's the first day I went in to change my cup and when I took it out, it was full and it has never been full. So I was like, oh my God, like, should I call somebody? Cause this is a lot of blood, Um but I didn't, I didn't panic. Uh, well. I didn't overly panic, just kind of dumped it and went about my day. And it had to have been, like, four hours later. I mean, I just had it in. I went to go take it out. And, again, not used to having anything in it. So I'm kind of clumsy when I take it out. Um, So I prop up my leg, and I'm, like, pulling on the little nubby thing. And and I try to maneuver, like, catch this thing. And just kind of background, I'm a single mom. um, And so I have a four-year-old daughter. It was just her and I at the house. And I'm taking this thing out, and it comes out sideways, and this pool of blood, I'm like, no, 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 and blood just like pours all over my bathroom floor, and it is so much blood, and I'm just sitting there with my cup in my hand, I'm covered in blood, there's now blood dripping down my leg, and a pool of blood on my bathroom floor, I have no pants on, because obviously, take your pants off when you do this, for some reason, I don't know. So I, I'm just like, uh, Kaylin and she, you know, my daughter, do- I call for my daughter. I don't know why. And she's on the toilet. I'm like, okay, what do I do? I have all this blood everywhere. And so I just kind of like sit down on the toilet and stare at it. Uh, I, uh, yeah.
1: I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. That's,
0: Our faces are all like frozen oh, and shocked. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot to deal with. Ugh. I love how you call on your daughter and then you're just like, just be here with me. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> see, see what mommy goes through. Um, also, I agree taking off your pants when you put in a menstrual cup. That's just what I like. Take it off my pants off and like put them in the other room.
0: <laughs> in case of splatter.
1: Yeah. i never <laughs> had that. I've never knock on all the wood. I've never had an accident like that yet. Oh,
2: God. Yeah. I love when uh, in the Amy Schumer special, when she's like, there's a new invention that's so great. And someone in the audience is like, diva cup. She's like, no, not diva cup. In case you don't know, diva cup is a cup that collects blood. And when you pull it out, you just kill Bill the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's true.
0: That's really interesting that hypo and hyperthyroidism affect your period. Yeah. yeah. Well, isn't that what Michelle
1: talked about? That she.
2: Yes. Or her. I don't well, know. If well, not she mentioned that period. it affected her period.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, th- yeah. they thought that the drugs that she was taking to because she was hypothyroid yes that that would affect her period that the drugs to like right yeah anyway thank you Mackenzie and thank you Lena for your phone calls love getting phone calls anyway without further ado let's just get right to Dr. Kate ask a gyno
0: Dr. Kate Dr. Kate Dr. Kate Dr. Kate Dr. Kate
5: I have now listened to every single episode oh my my goodness I totally Fangirling hard, yeah. So no, I'm totally ready.
1: Oh <laughs> what do you think? What have we gotten anything blatantly wrong yet? That's <laughs> <laughs> a great place to start.
5: I do not think that some of the medical advice that the Megs have gotten has always been good.
1: Okay, thank you oh, for from, saying uh, that. Oh, from you. other from other gynecologists, you mean?
5: Yes, that has been the stuff that's made me scream in my car while going to work and listening. Um, but we'll talk about all that kind of stuff tonight yeah, i think well, oh,
1: should we I'm just so yeah I'll, like, I'll i'm a you
2: bone i have a feeling we're going to be talking about that oh <laughs> heck yeah
1: <laughs> so yeah i guess let's just start by why don't you just give us your thoughts on this podcast like about a podcast for people that bleed needed important what's your th- what are your thoughts
5: i have teared up almost as much as i've laughed which is saying something, given how funny the three of you are. (laughs) And I think I tear up because even as a doctor with over 20 years experience taking care of women, you are talking about things that I have never talked about or you have even thought about, like since I was younger, about the first period and things like that. And it makes me so happy that someone is finally giving voice to these things that are so normal for women and I also then get angry I mean it's not quite read my is angry but it's <laughs> like, almost why did it take until 2019 for us to be able to be comfortable talking about these things like and so then then that almost makes me angry but then back to being really happy that this podcast exists as a place that people can bring up these issues and talk about them so thank you to the three of you
1: Thank you, you. for so that nice. lovely compliment. Well, we're so happy to have you on because as we say probably several times an episode, we are not doctors and we, <laughs> we get questions and we have questions. Yeah. So um, should we just start?
0: Let's do it.
1: Okay. Yeah. So we've basically gone through all of our episodes and anytime there was something said that we were like, eh, we'll figure that out later, <laughs> we're, yeah. at, we're about to ask that. <laughs> and we, and we reached out to our listeners. We have some listener questions too. Great. Let's just, do, let's just jump. Who wants to start? Great.
2: Well, I think uh, early first periods is a good place to start and something that's pervaded us since episode one. Why are first periods slash recurring periods brown? Why why is menstrual blood brown sometimes?
5: You know, it's funny because when I was starting to think about my own first period, um, it absolutely was brown. And I'll never forget it because I was wearing like yellow cotton underwear and the brown just was so stark against it. It's like, oh, I guess this is it. I was so confused. (laughs) Um, So why is it brown? So when blood gets exposed to oxygen, it goes from that really bright red color and gets darker and darker. So often brown is a sign that blood has been sitting in the vagina or in the uterus a little bit longer. And I think it's natural that the start of a period is brown because, and this is my theory, they don't teach this in class and this isn't in the books, but my theory is that blood starts to shed, like lining starts to shed from the inside of your uterus before the cramps start, before the contractions. So the blood is sort of sitting in there waiting to be cramped out. And so that time in there starts to make the color darker.
1: Sweet. Interesting. Good awesome. answer.
2: Also, you talk in a way that people are going to understand what you mean. Like when you're saying cramped out, I'm like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what you're saying. makes sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, another question we had about early periods is, um, is it true that uh, periods tend to be longer when we are younger? And is there any reason for that? Mm.
5: So periods, and this is a medical term, tend to be insane when we are young. (laughs) In adolescence, anything goes. The length of periods is long. The duration between periods is long and really irregular. So like just the fact that you're bleeding as an adolescent is a nightmare, but then mother nature is not doing you any favors by making it unpredictable and heavier and really crampy. So no, it is not your imagination that if you have this PTSD from your periods when you were young, they really (laughs) were that bad. And it reflects reflects the fact that the hormones haven't started to get into a nice rhythm yet.
1: One thing we read was that there's something called like hormonal rivers. They're like carving out the hormones in your body. Yeah,
5: that's that's interesting. I hadn't heard about that before. I mean, that sort of makes sense. I always think about, I think I like music so much. I think of it like an orchestra that when all of the sections are playing the way that they're supposed to, you know, beautiful music comes and you get a nice regular cycle with decent, don't want to kill yourself periods. But early <laughs> on, you get the brass section and the wind section, you know, kind of battling for supremacy and then the rhythm section's doing its own thing. And that just is what leads to menstrual disaster
1: yeah Ah, that makes so much sense because also when you're like in middle school in the orchestra or the band as i was it is a mess (laughs) (laughs) doesn't sound good does not sound good um actually while we're on the topic of like of analogies um we talked early on about like analogies, like the ways teachers might explain to you what the fallopian tube and the egg and the uterus do. And we've heard like slip and slide and we've heard like, you know, at a water park and we've heard like a grand staircase to a grand ballroom. Is there anything that you use or that you've heard to explain like the fertility cycle of a woman?
5: I have heard nothing as good or as poetic as the things that you guys described on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we just talk about things like the journey of the egg, which makes it sound like a, I don't know, a cheesy movie. Um, you know, the egg working its way, you know, oh, almost like Homeward Bound, right? <laughs> just
1: going to say Bound. Oh gone. my god! It's all coming together. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about Homeward Bound for a while. I'm really glad this came up. Um,
2: so one of the questions I put in there, um, is I've gotten the impression having talked to so many bleeders now that people's flows vary so much and some people are claudier and some people have maybe more like liquidy periods. And I'm just wondering, like, is there a rhyme or reason why like some people and, and maybe how your period might change month to month? Like, is there anything you can do to change the viscosity of your period
5: Sadly, there isn't. I think this is one of those things that just falls under the natural variation and what makes us all different. Like there are medical conditions that can make your periods heavier when you have some hormonal issues or structural things in your uterus, like fibroids can make periods heavier. And when they get heavier, they can be clottier. And if you're on blood thinning medication for certain medical conditions, when you Certain kinds of illnesses, the periods can get heavier as well, and heavy tends to come with clots. But that idea about like the thickness and like people who can see tissue passing versus people who never see that, that just seems to be natural variation. And the only way that I would know how to change that is by going on some kind of hormonal contraception, which almost uniformly makes periods lighter. And shorter. And that's going to probably take care of most of that clotting.
1: Can we talk about birth control? So one thing that we have learned on this journey of understanding is that actually birth control uh, suppresses your hormones in a way that you get like a fake period. And... Like obviously it's like birth control is so important for people that don't want to have a baby and it's so important for people that have endometriosis and other like issues that really help their period and regulate it or regulate their cycle. But do you think birth control is or ever has been like overprescribed for symptoms that could be fixed other ways?
5: I don't think so, but I'm going to tell you why I say that. I really do think it comes down to what you value about what's important about your body. You know, if you want to treat things the most natural way possible, and you want to try to live a life without medications or without hormones, I think doctors should work with you to try to figure out how to sort of fix the symptoms that you're struggling with without hormones. But hormones can be like magic for so many women. And yeah, it's true. If you have a chronic condition like endometriosis, then it's actual genuine therapy And if you don't want to have a baby, also really important, but even for the quote, one of the mill problems of heavy periods or cramps or acne, sometimes nothing is as good as hormones to treat it, meaning nothing is as effective. So I know that doctors may come across sort of as drug pushers around hormones, sometimes like, (laughs) oh, birth control will fix whatever ails you. And that's not completely true, but it can fix a lot. And so if a woman comes to me and she is saying, my periods are ruining my life, you know, I'm bleeding through my clothes, I'm bleeding onto car seats and bed sheets and, or the cramps are so debilitating that I want to miss work. You know, she can say if she wants to do something natural, I'll totally work with her. But the best thing and the first thing that comes to mind is that birth control is probably going to give her the quality of life that she needs.
1: And is this, uh, so we just interviewed Michelle Konstantinovsky, who's how we got put in touch. Her thought, she was put on birth control at a young age to get her period back um, when she was under eating. Is that a good use of birth control?
5: It is. You know, you don't need to have a period every month. There's no sort of recipe or instruction somewhere that says you have to bleed every month. But every few months you do need to bleed. You do need to have a genuine cycle to sort of wash things out. And yes, it's totally true that bleeding on birth control are fake periods. Doctors call them withdrawal bleeds. Um, When patients call them periods, we don't usually correct them because it's not worth sort of getting into a semantic fight about it. But every three months or so is sort of the accepted interval that you should have a period of some sort. And when women are older and you could handle... Taking just a small progesterone course every for ten days every three months, you know that's something you, as a thirty year old woman you probably could handle. If you have a fourteen year old, sometimes a birth control pill is just the simplest because it's the same dose every day. You don't need to think about it. So it actually is a good indication for that.
1: You said it's good to have periods every three months. What about people that have IUDs and and don't have them like ever?
5: Yeah, if you are using any kind of birth control and it suppresses your period, that is totally fine because that is something that we are manipulating to make happen. We are making the lining of your uterus really thin. And so we're not worried about the buildup that can be happening in those months that you go without bleeding when you're off birth control. So on birth control, rules are totally different. You can find a method that suppresses your periods. Awesome, that's fantastic. Um, It's just when you're off birth control that the bleeding is so important.
1: Thank you. That was really yeah. helpful. Okay. We got so many more questions. <laughs> that sounded like we were ending and we are. Can now. I, can I ask a
0: birth? Co- so I'm the only, only, uh, co-host currently on birth control. You're co- called a blow. A co part of me. Yeah. Um, should, since I'm getting synthetic hormones, should I be worried about taking any sort of supplement for progesterone or estrogen or do I get what I need from The birth control that I'm on.
5: You totally get what you need from the birth control. You also do have some natural levels of hormone. They're just significantly lower and they don't have those big peaks and valleys that you would normally have during your cycle, but you're getting plenty. You don't need to supplement with anything.
1: Okay. Thank you. While we're on you, Meg
0: Hayes, do you want to talk about the pubic bone? I mean, sure. We're going to get to it eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. K, I don't know if you're familiar with this, like... The saga
1: of the pubic
0: bone. Oh, my gosh. Um, So I guess for for everyone, just to remind everyone of this insanity, (laughs) when I was of a certain age, I think late teens, I was told by a doctor that I have an inverted pubic bone, and that's why it was challenging for me to get a pap smear. Um... And she asked if I had been dropped as a child. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) however many years later, 12 years later, I was told by my OBGYN that that is not a thing. Um, Also, we Googled it and it was terrifyingly, like there was nothing that showed up. Um, And so my current gynecologist said, Something about like pelvic shapes and that I just might have a unique pelvic shape. So could you, is that a thing? Do you know about that? And could you please God help us (laughs) understand this? And to help you answer,
2: (laughs) should we send you a photo?
5: (laughs) No, don't even joke. i thought I didn't know that Zencaster was just an audio. So I actually printed some pictures to show you guys tonight for some of the things we're going to talk about. And I'm wondering if Kate, I should give you my cell number and you can text me and then I'll like take a picture and text it back to you. Please Meg, when I first heard you talk about your inverted pubic bone and how terrifying it must have been to Google it and get nothing back. (laughs) Yeah, I mean how scary must that have been? I'm so sorry. Thank you. I
0: appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been horrible. I I do know that, like, I do need to advocate for myself and, like, ask for a pillow or ask to, like, be in a certain position so that pap smears aren't painful. So
5: never having, you know, seen your vagina or your cervix, I'm going to make a very different diagnosis. I wonder if you have a retroverted uterus.
1: Okay, do what? Okay.
5: <laughs> right.
0: I feel like I have heard this because I think this is like what Google said. Like, is
1: this what you mean? Google did not say that. Google did not we I was tilted... there with you. Google did not go, did you mean retroverted <laughs> Oh here? yeah, you're right. I
0: maybe I'm thinking of a tilted
1: pelvis. Okay, there are this is a new phrase and this is explain, Doctor. Yes, everything. please explain. This is so funny.
5: So we were talking recently on one of the pods about the size of the uterus, and I think the best way to think about it is like a bosque pear sort of upside down, so the narrow part being like your cervix and the round part being your uterus and that's sort of about the size. It is true that it is it is flatter than that, but when thinking about sort of just the overall dimensions of it, I think a pear is a good way to think about it. Wow, we
2: have pears in the house i'll I'll pull them out later
5: <laughs> so the pear tends to tilt either forward towards your bladder, backwards towards your tailbone, or might just be in the middle. Most women, it tilts forward towards their bladder, what's called an antiverted uterus. For about 15% of us, including me, it tilts backwards towards your tailbone. And if you think about a pair or think about a seesaw, if one end tilts backwards, it means the other end tilts up. And what Mm. happens very frequently with a retroverted uterus is that the cervix is very high in the vagina because your uterus is tilting backwards in your pelvis. My gynecologist very frequently is on her knees, between my knees, trying to tilt the speculum up to find my cervix while I'm saying, I'm sorry, over the drape (laughs) as she's trying to find it. (laughs) So that idea about PAPS being hard and just hearing this phrase, that's the first thing I think about. And what I tell patients who I discover that they have this, I first explain the phrase. I say it, it means nothing about your health or your life or your ability to get pregnant or have a baby. This is just the shape of where your uterus lays. But you could give your gynos a heads up by saying, the cervix is really high. <laughs> and then the doctors will know that they need to really angle the speculum up a little bit higher to see it, possibly raise the bed, um, or to do things to try to make it easier to find.
1: Well, Does that affect – does it affect sex?
5: Yes, it does. And the way I discovered this <laughs> was with my own personal experience at the risk of oversharing when certain positions of intercourse were really painful. And when I looked it up, I realized that that matches this idea of the uterus tipping back and the cervix being high. It kind of puts the cervix right in the line of fire, meaning it's getting bumped more directly during intercourse. Wow. Yeah. And the cervix does not like getting bumped.
1: No, <laughs> it that, doesn't. Would that maybe affect... Sorry, Meg, I'm going to advocate for you now. Um, are, would that also affect maybe why Meg has a hard time using menstrual cups?
5: It could be. Whenever I have a woman that I'm doing an exam on and I notice this, I will often say, do you ever notice that sex is uncomfortable in certain positions? Like if you have your legs back or if he's entering you from behind. And so often they say, it's not just me. Like, no, you are not making it up. This is your body. And it doesn't mean that you can't have all the sexual positions that you want. It just means that you might need more lube, more foreplay, certain things to happen to make it more comfortable. Um, But it's so nice to be able to validate that for women that if they've had this experience and they think it's all in their head, it isn't. It's all in their uterus. <laughs>
1: wow, I'll have to do more research. It's about all that. in your uterus it's should all... be the next ne- season oh, three's tagline. Yeah, yes, you're right. Yeah, that's Keep happening. Going, it's all in your
0: uterus. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Thank you for that.
2: This is Meg T. And I, um, the first time I saw a gynecologist, I was not sexually active yet. And the first thing she said, um, like it, it came up in conversation. She like asked if I was sexually active and I said, no. And, and then I said, no, I'm a virgin. And she's like, oh, um, do you want me to do a gynecological exam? And I said, yeah, that's why I'm here. And she's like, oh, well, we don't really like recommend you come in until you're sexually active. And I was kind of like flummoxed by it, but also because I was like dischargey from a young age and I really just wanted to talk to a doctor about that. And I didn't know how else I could. Is that common? Do you think people should wait until they're sexually active or does it make sense to go to a gynecologist before you become active?
5: Okay. So maybe this is actually a read my labias. I feel very strongly about this. I hate that GYN care is so linked to sex, like learning about your body and how to keep it healthy only matters if you've been penetrated. I mean, and what if you're not going to participate in intercourse? What if it is not your thing? What if it is not your preference? Like, do you never go? I hate that there's this gate between, oh, you don't need to learn about your body or go to a doctor for all of your parts until you've been with someone. That drives me up a wall. So yes, the answer is totally no, you do not need to wait until you've had sex. You go to a gynecologist. In fact, and maybe I should stop ranting and let you talk for a second. No, (laughs) no, keep going.
2: All I was going to say is preach. (laughs)
5: The American College of OBGYNs actually recommends that girls go for their first gyno visit when they're starting their periods. You can go earlier if you have an issue, like if you were discharging, let's say, before you started your first period. But normally, once periods start, probably a good time to go. And what's really important to know is that you do not need to have an exam the first time you go or ever. I talk to patients all the time about you can absolutely keep your pants on. If that gets you into my office to talk to me about things that matter to you or things that you're worried about, we can absolutely skip an exam in many cases, because that's the the holdup. I think for a lot of people, they're so afraid of a pelvic that they don't want to come in and talk. And I say, but you're so much more than just a cervix. (laughs) I want to talk to you about so many more things. And so I would encourage people to if they are the kind of people who have daughters, to think about taking them in after they get their first period. Because it's nice to develop a relationship with a doctor before you need them.
2: I think that's such great advice and counsel. Thanks. That's great. I definitely felt like virgin shame for a second. I was like, look, I'm a 19-year-old who's a virgin, but I want to <laughs> check out my
1: stuff. I'm interested.
0: <laughs> I, like, I had a really horrible first pap smear experience um mostly because my mom made the appointment for me and i didn't fully understand what i was walking into and actually this could transition into another question but i like reflecting on what you said about starting the relationship early if i had been going to the same doctor since i was 14 having a pap smear probably would have felt less invasive and violating and embarrassing and shame inducing um and i i could just imagine that pap smears might be that much more humane <laughs> if, if we went about it that way.
5: Meg, I think one of the reasons that I became a gynecologist was because my first exams were awful. Mm. One, was I'd, one was before I'd had sex and one was after. Both were women where I thought like, oh, but they're women. They're going to be kind and nice. And instead, both of them had an attitude of like, oh, suck it up. Like, I know what this is like. It's not that bad. And after both exams, when they left the room, I just sat on the table and cried. And I remember thinking, even at that young age, I don't think it has to be this bad. I don't think a doctor is supposed to make you cry. (laughs) And I think I always remembered that when it came time to choose a specialty. And it is one of the things that I love most about being a gynecologist is taking women either through their first pelvic exam when they're nervous about it and having them realize that's it. Like, oh, it doesn't need to be that bad, which I feel like sets them up for a lifetime of not being afraid of the gynecologist or just doing exams for women who have had really lousy experiences to show them that there is another way that they can get the care they need for their body without pain and distress.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, The the follow-up question I wanted to ask is... We've gotten mixed information from doctors saying, yes, you can have a pap smear on your period, or no, you shouldn't have a pap smear on your period. Is that the preference of the doctor? Can it be the preference of the patient in that moment or the decision of the patient in that moment? What, yeah, what are the, what are the rules around that?
5: It should always be up to the patient. When I first started training, pap smears were literally smears of a scraping of the cells from your cervix on a slide. And if you were on your period, blood could obscure the cells that the pathologists need to see. But technology has gotten so much better than when I first started training. And now with the vials of solution that you watch the doctors sort of swirl the instruments into, the techs in the lab can filter out blood. But anything shy of really, really heavy bleeding, I tell people it's totally fine to have a pap. Now, there are women who are really uncomfortable or people who are really uncomfortable getting changed when they're bleeding in the office. And it does not bother doctors at all. We've got plenty of pads to tuck right under your bum. It's no big deal to us. But if you are uncomfortable getting undressed because you're bleeding, that's fine. Just have the pap another day. But it really should be up to you.
1: Good. Thank you. That's good. Um, Okay, should we move on to other questions? Yeah. Okay, can you talk a little bit about endometriosis and what you see in patients and what- and And why has it been so hard to diagnose?
5: I think it's hard to diagnose endometriosis for a few reasons. The first is that there are a lot of women who just expect to be in pain, especially pain with their periods. And they don't always know when the pain that they're having is worse than what their friends are having unless they talk about it, hence the need for podcasts like yours to help get people talking about periods. But then once women realize it's not normal and try to then go to a doctor and talk about it, women's pain is not always taken seriously by medical professionals. And this isn't just in gynecology. It's also when women are having heart attacks or other kinds of things. Women in pain don't get the same kind of attention that men in pain do. So to get a doctor to take your pain seriously sometimes takes a long time or multiple doctors before you can get there. So endometriosis is diagnosed in one of two ways, either because doctors have a pretty good idea that's what it is, and they just start treating you for it and you get better, and then you have a presumed diagnosis of endometriosis, or it's because the doctor actually looks does a laparoscopic surgery to come with the small incisions and putting a camera through your belly button to take a look at your pelvis and can sometimes then see the endometriosis. And If you need a completely definitive diagnosis, surgery, unfortunately, is the only way right now to get it.
1: Mm, but then it can come back.
5: Yeah, once you have it, you don't really get rid of it. You just manage it.
1: Um. So... The idea that, like, lining grows outside your uterus is so weird to me. Like, how is that possible? (laughs) Like, is there a hole in your uterus? Yeah, and where does it go?
5: Yeah. So the fallopian tubes, those are the holes. Oh. So, right?
1: The slip and slides.
5: (laughs) Right, in the wrong direction. Ah. So instead of going down the slide, the implants, a little bit of the blood, sort of goes up the slide.
1: And is that also why... Like we just had that episode on ectopic pregnancy and Meg Tro so bravely told her story. Love you so much. Um, and one thing we learned was that uh, sometimes if it's a pregnancy unknown location, it can grow outside the uterus as well. And that also blew my mind too. Like how is it because of the fallopian tubes?
5: Yeah. So vast majority of the time the o- the egg released from the ovary gets captured by the tube takes its journey going down the slip and slide of the tube, and then gets met by the sperm coming up. But it is possible that the egg gets fertilized in the tube and then implants there before continuing back down the slide into the uterus. That's the tubal pregnancy that's the most common ectopic. But let me tell you, ectopics can happen in the weirdest places. There is a long list. You've got a lot of them in the episode. But they can implant in the cervix itself, in the scar where you've had a C-section. They can implant right at the junction of the tube and the uterus, which isn't a great place either. And they can actually implant in your abdomen. Ectopic pregnancies have been reported on the bowel, on the spleen, on the liver. It's crazy. No.
2: <laughs> that's, that's crazy. And and then it's it escapes through the fallopian
5: tube. Exactly. So with the period question, every time you have a menstrual cycle, it is normal for some blood to escape out the fallopian tubes. If I were to look inside the pelvis of a woman having her period, it's normal to see a little bit of blood in there. That totally happens. What? But what but why for some women that blood doesn't just get resorbed? Why do the implants? stay in the lighting? We have no idea.
2: Hmm. Wow. Dr. Kate, Dr. Kate some hard, hard truths on vicious cycle. You know, so one of the questions I had in our doc, um, was so in my, in my ectopic pregnancy case, um, my, I didn't have to have my tube removed. Uh, the, the medic worked. And, um, and so now I'm just going about with my life and I don't have any appointments with my gynecologist if for the near future. And they just said, come back when you're pregnant again. So I'm just, I just still have so many questions. Like my biggest one is my fallopian tube all fucked up now. <laughs> like, is it super <laughs> stretched out? Cause there was like an embryo growing in there. And like, now it's just this like sad wiggly tube. <laughs>
5: It is not stretched out, but it might be a little damaged, but it's hard to know if it was damaged before you got pregnant or from the ectopic itself, because we're never sure when an ectopic happens for the first time, was it just completely random or was something happening in that tube that made it more likely for a pregnancy to implant there? So unfortunately, it's kind of tough to get to have that answer definitively, but you are definitely at a higher risk of an ectopic on that side, which is why your doctor said as soon as you're pregnant again, you're gonna go in for an ultrasound. You're one of those people who's gonna get that ultrasound early just to confirm where the pregnancy is. So no one is worrying.
2: Makes sense. Yeah. And there's no I also saw um Lola, the tampon brand, they posted on their social this post and it said that. It was, it kind of um, debunked this assumption I had that you can always just assume that every other month your ovary is, is letting out an egg. So like one month is your left and then the next month is your right. And according to this post, it said that that's not the case. You can't just rely that one, it's going to be one after the other. Um, I Can you confirm that or, or expand on that? <laughs>
5: I can confirm that. And then I'm going to tell you a story that's going to totally blow your mind.
0: Oh boy.
2: I had a
5: patient who lost her left fallopian tube because of an ectopic pregnancy. She needed the surgery and she lost her right ovary because of a huge ovarian cyst that they couldn't take the cyst out. So she lost the ovary. So she had an ovary on her left and a tube on her right. And she was told, you know, probably not going to get pregnant. And she totally got pregnant on her
2: own. what?
5: Because that left ovary released an egg, which traveled across her whole pelvis to the other side of her uterus, where that other fallopian tube swept it up.
1: The heroic slip and slides. Oh my
5: gosh.
1: That's like, I'm actually tearing I up. I know, that made me tear up too. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> slow-mo working together, (laughs) coming together. The body's
5: amazing. Um, So Meg, your other ovary or the ovary on the side of the damaged tube may release an egg that might avoid the tube that might be damaged and you might get pregnant on the other side from that ovary. So you never know what's going to happen. Wow. (laughs) This is so fascinating.
1: That did blow my mind. That was a successful mind-blown. <laughs> Dr. Kate, did you have any thoughts about what Meg went through and her excruciating process dealing with doctors?
5: First, Meg, I am so sorry. I am so sorry for that loss. And you didn't talk about this aspect of it, but I don't know if the doctors really treated you like you were having a miscarriage because they were so concerned about where the pregnancy was and the blood tests and the scans and the medicine, but it really was a miscarriage and you were really brave to talk about it to all the listeners. So I'm sorry and thank you. That's the first thing I want to say. Oh,
2: thank you, Dr. Kate.
5: And the second thing is that I don't know if they gave you too much information where it was hard to keep track of or if they didn't always have an idea what was happening because this was one of the things that made me sad when listening to the pod about you talking about it, about the idea of pregnancy of unknown location and ectopic and medicine and the DNC. And it seemed to me that things were a little bit out of order. So when we know that a pregnancy is not in the uterus, because that's the easiest place to do an ultrasound. And if the uterus is empty, when the hormone level is high, we know that it's just not there. We don't always know where it is. That's the whole like UFO, pregnancy of unknown location kind of thing. And then you get that choice of the medicine or surgery. And sometimes people say surgery is not smart if we can't actually see the pregnancy in the tube. Because of that array of places it could be, I would hate to take you to the operating room and look inside and see two perfectly pink, normal looking tubes and then still not know where the pregnancy is. So medicine's a really good choice if they don't see it, because that's going to take care of it, no matter where it is. So the methotrexate, I think, was probably a really good plan. But what had me sad was them telling you that if the hormone levels didn't drop enough, they were going to do a DNC, because it might be in the uterus after all. Because that's usually not how it works. We don't give someone methotrexate unless we're sure it's not in the uterus. And sometimes you get a DNC when it's early and we're not sure if it's just a regular miscarriage or not. You know, you've got hormone levels that aren't rising the way they're supposed to. And so we know the pregnancy is not normal. We know there's no normal baby growing. And a DNC can help figure out, was this just a chemical pregnancy miscarriage in the uterus or is it really lurking somewhere else? So a DNC is something that happens early usually not after you've had the medication, not after you've gone through, you know, the first five or seven blood draws. So I'm glad that you didn't get it in the end.
2: One of the things that kind of, so I, that was part of the confusion for me was, you know, the fact that they wanted to do the double whammy. They wanted to give me methotrexate and the DNC. Um, and, and when they said why it was because of this fear that there was something in the uterus. And I was like, then why in the world am I terminating something if it's in the uterus? So I I could never really get a straight answer. Um, But. Oh, where was my question going? I had a point. Oh, uh, oh, so. But I had a follow up question with them where I kind of thought maybe it was because it removes the tissue. I thought maybe it lessens the miscarriage. And they said it it didn't. They said, no, you would you still might expect to bleed very heavily. Um, so I, I was just kind of scientifically confused. like if you're actually removing some of the tissue and the lining there, um, then does your uterus just continue to make lining and blood until the hormone is totally gone?
5: Usually, once the hormone levels peak and start coming down, no new lining is made. You know, the uterus is chugging merrily along. It recognizes that there's a pregnancy somewhere and it's making this really thick, fluffy lining waiting for a pregnancy that sometimes then doesn't happen. So it is very logical why the lining would build up and then why you would start to have bleeding at some point that could be heavy. But it's not really related to the ectopic itself it's just a side effect of the pregnancy that doesn't need to get treated in the vast majority of cases, your body will just pass it in a miserable period like episode.
1: Did you hear about the, the black clot?
5: I did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: have it, you, have you seen a, a, a clot, the color of a black hole and nothingness? Black.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I think not one, the size that Meg described, but Yes, smaller of the of the black clot varieties I have seen.
1: Cool, very cool. <laughs> while we're we'll get to weird things coming out of vaginas in in a minute, but but while we're still on the topic of like tubes and um Meg's mom had her tubes tied. Meg Tro's. and in that interview, we were she we were questioning like, when you get your tubes tied, do you still ovulate?
5: You do. Because the only thing that's affected is the slip and slide itself. So the ovary still gets stimulated by the hormones every month. And an egg is released. It just has nowhere to go (laughs) because the tube is blocked. So you'll still get ovulation and you'll still get periods. You just don't get that connection between the ovary and the uterus. Out of
2: curiosity, I maybe it's just because of my age um but I feel like I'm also seeing articles about you know women in their 30s who are just having a harder time getting pregnant and um and I just wondered if you you've also noticed like a a a lower fertility rate in this country or if you have thoughts about why in other countries like is there a medical reason behind it or do you think it's more like societal and and just kind of our our new way of living
5: Yeah. I think the birth rate has gone down because women are making choices that they might not have been able to make years ago. I think it's become much more acceptable to decide to not have any kids or to have one kid. And a generation ago, if you decided you didn't want children, like that just like was not an acceptable answer to most people. And It's really well documented that in any society, the more educated the women and the more opportunities they have, the lower the birth rate. It's not a coincidence. So, birth rate, I think, is different than the fertility question because the fertility question, overall, more than anything else, is related to age. And it is grossly unfair that just when women are finally ready, in a lot of cases, to start thinking about pregnancy, that biology may be starting to work against them. You know, I don't think of 35 as old. Like right. 35 is like prime. But if you get pregnant for the first time at age 35 or older, the phrase used to be elderly primigravida,"
1: no. meaning
5: old lady on her first pregnancy.
1: <laughs> no. Say that phrase one more time.
5: Sure. Elderly primogravida, like prime, like number one, like primary, first, like first pregnancy.
1: That sounds like the name that we should call our improv team when we're all in our 60s. (laughs) She's,
2: I mean, she speaks in such a way... Where I understood everything and I didn't feel dumb at all. She's the best. She's the best. She has
0: analogies that help people who are not doctors. Yes. She has bedside manner that is like better than any doctor I've ever met. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I love that she's a fan of our podcast. She her, like She's like a regular listener. She's oh. so
0: yeah, she was so sweet with her uh, compliments.
1: Back yeah. to what you said about analogies. I, whenever someone in the science field gives a good analogy, I'm always reminded of a physics teacher I had in high school. And I only took like intro to physics or whatever. And I am so bad at grasping the concept of physics. Um, But this whenever someone in my class would like try to help me understand it and they'd say, well, it's like gravity wants to push it down. And my teacher would always say gravity is not a person. It doesn't want anything. So he wouldn't let us describe things in a way that would like personify electrons or neutrons. That's chemistry, whatever, whatever it would be in Mm -hmm, physics, like whatever forces we were talking about. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't let us use it as like a person. Which was the only way I could ever understand it. So I was like, why won't you let me just, like, make it into an orchestra like Dr. Kate? Like, describe (laughs) periods like it's an orchestra and I'm there. So I really appreciate that she's like, listen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's just dumb it down. That's (laughs) awesome. Um, Just make it palatable. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Tune in next week because we have more Dr. Kate and she's got some pro tips on finding a good gyno. And she's got some amazing stories from the gyno exam room. Uh, That you do not want to miss. And um, until then, you know the usual. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe to us. Write us a review.
1: Write us a review. We love reviews. They make us feel so good. Yeah, we've got
0: some new reviews. Did we? Yeah, please send some new ones if you want to share them.
2: They fill us with joy and joyness. Um, And hey, you know what? If you've got something going on that's bloody, you should call us. What's that number? 9106 9106 uterus. Uterus. (laughs) And uh, hey, you know what? Until then, keep calm. It's It's all all in in your your uterus.
1: Our theme song was performed by The Go Ahead. Check out more at thegoaheadmusic.com.